Hey, listen, the first, uh, there's no doubt we would all agree that the first half of 2018 has seen some pretty horrific events happen here in our own country that have become uh, global news items. And uh, first, of course, it was the Humboldt tragedy and 16 uh, hockey players and other, uh, others associated with, with the team dead, 14 injured in that. Um, just this past week, the uh, shocking attack um, on Young Street that Pastor Duane just prayed about, um, 10 killed, 15 injured in that. In both cases, uh, hundreds if not thousands of people, uh, their lives affected forever as a result of these um, tragedies. And you might be wondering, what are, what are we as Christians supposed to make of that? How do we respond to such heartbreaking events? Uh, what do we say uh, when we're asked? And invariably, we will be asked when we enter into conversations about these things. And as we look to the Word of God today in the passage that was lined up for this very week, uh, we understand, too, that the context in which the Bible was written, the first century world, um, was no less troubled that people were facing tragedies and heartaches of their own. The time when this gospel was written, when Jesus appeared teaching and healing, people followed him because he was telling them about an unshakable kingdom. Our world gets shaken all the time. The kingdom of this world gets shaken regularly. And Jesus came into this world talking about an unshakable kingdom. And they got sold out for it. They followed him to hear more about it, to become a part of it. And why wouldn't they? In light of the things that happened to us, why wouldn't we too be so gripped by what Jesus is saying about this kingdom, this unshakable kingdom, that we would want it too and we would be sold out for it? Jesus, in the midst of telling them about this kingdom, said that he was going away he introduces the idea of the kingdom. He inaugurates it among us. And then he says, I'm going to go away. And when I come back, the full extent of the kingdom is going to come. And I'm going to make everything right. And I think you'll agree with me that the broken world we live in right now desperately needs Jesus to come back. In the meantime, he's left us here in this waiting period to tell this world about him. To love this world the way he loved it. To serve this world with compassion. And that's what today's parable is about, what's in front of us in Luke 19. This is, this is what it gets at. And you see it there in your notes. The key line is faithfulness to Jesus as we await his coming is proven in my service to him and for him. We want to be faithful servants of Jesus Christ. And so let me read this. It's Luke 19, 11 through 27. I'll read it. I'll pray. And then we'll get after it. As they heard these things, Jesus uh, proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. 
And he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful and very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came and said, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. Well, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Well, that took a pretty dark turn at the end. So uh, why don't we pray and ask the Lord's mercy on us as we look at his word. Father, these um, most recent events that we've just brought to mind um, I think the thing about them is that they didn't happen across an ocean or in a country that we will likely never visit. God, they happened right here in uh, towns that we've been in, on streets that we have walked. And Father, we would confess right now together that it's gotten our attention. And we know that as, as we sit here this morning, we've, we've just read from the word of life. We have the word of life. We possess it. And we know that having it comes, uh, that the having of it uh, with it comes tremendous responsibility. And so God, I pray that you would show us now uh, what we need to do before you return. Speak to us from your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Faithfulness to Jesus as we await his coming is, is proven in my service to him and uh, for him. Uh, let's look at this first. Uh, God entrusts and expects. God entrusts certain things to us and therefore expects certain things from us. We have some responsibilities here. And the setup for this parable, just understanding the context and why does he tell this particular parable at this particular time, um, is really about this kingdom of God that we've been talking about, that Jesus has been teaching about all the way up until this moment. And the disciples, naturally, as Jesus was teaching about it, they were pretty anxious for the kingdom of God to actually come. And there was a rumor circulating. You know anything about rumors? There's a, does that happen today? I mean, I just can't even believe that rumors circulated all the way back then without the advantage of social media. It's just baffling to me that that could happen. <laughs> but there was a rumor circulating that this was actually the moment. 
Now, we've been saying it all the way through our study of Luke, and here we are in chapter 19, and we're getting right to what the whole thing has been pointing to, which is Jerusalem, the disciples and Jesus going into that city. It's going to happen in the very next message. And so they rightly are kind of thinking up in their minds, this is it. He's been talking about the kingdom. We're heading to Jerusalem. We're going to go into those gates, and the kingdom is going to come. This is going to be it. That's what they're all talking about. That's, that's the rumor that's circulating that is going to be immediate. That's an important word. It's going to be immediate. Verse 11, as they heard these things, now he's talking about what, he, what they just heard, which was the story of Zacchaeus and what he said to Zacchaeus. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Why? Two reasons. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed, this is the rumor, that the kingdom of God was to appear, what's the word? Immediately. They thought it's going to happen now. And they had no notion in their mind that there was going to be suffering and separation that was going to happen. And we wonder, because we've been studying Luke's gospel all the way through here, we wonder how they could not have known that. Because multiple times Jesus has told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die and then to be resurrected. They should have known that it's not going to go the way they think that it's going to go. And so Jesus, why, why, are we, why is he teaching this parable? This is a corrective. It's to bring to their attention again that there's going to be a separation, a time when he's away. Now, that's the context of, of where it's happening in real time. Now, Luke is writing his gospel, listen, 30 years later. And he writes his gospel to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus, of course, isn't just going to keep it to himself. After all, we're studying it now. Lots of people read the gospel that was sent to Theophilus. 30 years after the resurrection and ascension, all these people are also still waiting. They're all still thinking in the first century. They're thinking the kingdom of God is coming in my lifetime. Not immediately, that obviously didn't happen, but here's another good word, imminently. It's going to happen imminently. It's going to happen before the end of this century. It's going to happen in my lifetime. I need to be working. I need to be driven because it's happening now. And um, the parable tells us that there's going to be a span of time when Jesus is going to be absent from the earth. That's the point of the parable. That's the correction. Now, for us, we have no trouble believing that. Correct? I mean, we got this 2,000 years later perspective on it all, and we see that, yes, <laughs> Jesus wasn't kidding when he said there's going to be a span of time when he's away. And we have a different issue because now we know it's not going to happen immediately. We, we, we know it, it wasn't going to happen imminently, not in the sense that the first century Christians had. Now we have the problem of thinking it's not actually going to happen. We think it's not actually going to happen in our lifetime. That's our default setting. We have a really different problem. So we don't have any trouble believing this first part of the parable that there's going to be a time when he's away. We just don't believe that the, that the other part of the parable is even relevant to us. And so here we are in this world that continues to deteriorate 
to spiral down. And more than ever, we need to be watchful and ready and working for the sake of the kingdom, on mission for him. Because frankly, I'm just at this place where I'm, like with these events that have been happening, I'm like, enough is enough. So much evil, so much heartache, so much sorrow, so much hate, so much division, so much violence. And I want to cry out to the Lord and say, why aren't you here yet? Why are we still here? Why is this world still so gripped by sin? Why isn't it fixed yet? Why hasn't your kingdom come? Why is there still so much pain and sorrow and heartache? I want to cry out to God, what are you waiting for? How much harder, how much worse does it need to get? Can I say on behalf of all of us that I'm I'm fed up with it. Enough already? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. You said you'd come. We've been waiting long enough. That's the context of the parable. That's why Jesus is teaching this. To not only say there's going to be this span of time, but to get us motivated to actually work for him. To be prepared for his return. To to, to meet the expectation that he has of us because he's entrusted so much into our hands as citizens of his kingdom that's not yet fully realized. And so in advance of his arrival, we come to the parable, verse 12, a nobleman, four really important things that we're going to get out of this verse. Look at verse 12 now. A nobleman, that's the first thing. So we have this man went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. Four things. There's a man, he goes away, he's going to get a kingdom, and he's going to come back uh, with that kingdom. Now, parables, uh, sometimes you read them and you just go like, I do not know what's going on in this parable. And they're relatively simple to interpret. If you just remember this principle, there's one main thing that's being taught for every main character in the parable. What's the one thing we want to learn, for example, about the nobleman? So we're not taking every little detail of the parable and trying to apply it to Jesus, for example. We're just taking the one main thing that Jesus is trying to teach here. And so not in every detail, but Jesus is the nobleman. He's going away to get a kingdom and to come back with it. That's the thing. That's what Jesus wants us to hear in this parable. And so verses 13 to 15, then we get some of the more detail, some more detail about what's going on with this, calling 10 of his servants. Who do you think the servants are? Raise your hand if you think you're maybe the servant. Okay. That's us. Okay. He's talking about us. It's not hard. 
Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas, and he said to them, engage in business till I come. Now, the word 10, okay, was, was there any significance to the word 10? Yes, yes. 10 is a perfect or complete number. So all he's saying by the 10 is, I took the perfect number of my servants or all of my servants, the complete number of them, and I gave them a perfect number of things, okay? 10 minus, one mina each. Everybody got a thing. Everybody's got something. The perfect amount of whatever God wants you to have, you have, okay? That's what the 10 is. And it's nothing really more than that. The charge here really is, he called his servants, he gave you something, get to work with what you've been given, Okay, that's the charge. Get to work with what you've been given. You've been entrusted with something. There's an expectation on that. Now, that's the servants. Okay? We can talk about the servants over here and what he's done with them. Then we're introduced in verse 14 to his citizens. Remember, he's a nobleman. He's going away to get a kingdom. He's going to come back. He has these citizens who are not his servants. Okay? Different group of people, verse 14. But his citizens hated him. And sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. Now, before we go any further in this, this is a pretty complex little uh, passage of scripture. If you were looking for a similar passage of scripture, you'd go to Matthew 25 and you see the parable of the talents. You go, well, this parable of the minas sounds a lot like the parable of the talents. And it is, but it's way more complicated in the sense that Jesus is not only telling a parable about these servants, but he's also mixing in some actual historical events. How many people love history? How many people love history? You're gonna love this next part. I love history, so I love this next part. The rest of you just buckle up and hang in there until we're done, okay? So here's the thing. Jesus is pulling a historical event out that happened some years before that all the people would have known about, and he now blends it in with the parable. So you have, you have the whole thing kind of running together. And people would have been going, I know, I know exactly who he's talking about. So here's, here's the story. There was a man named Archelaus. And Archelaus in the Roman Empire left where he was living. And he went away to the capital city of Rome, the Roman Empire. And he pe petitioned the emperor to allow him to become what's called a client king of this area of Cappadocia, which is in modern-day Turkey. So he goes to Rome. Mr. Emperor, could I please be a client king, having some sovereignty, but still within the Roman Empire? Can I rule this area? When he goes and does that, the people of Cappadocia, they're all like, I don't want that guy ruling over us. I mean, so they send a delegation off to Rome to petition the emperor to not give him rule of Cappadocia. Okay, so you got the historical story, that's happening while Jesus is also telling this parable about this nobleman, and there's all these parallels between the two. Jesus isn't making any kind of political statement at all about Archelaus. He doesn't care. It's just he's pulling the story in to help make his point, and this is what he's saying. My thing, Jesus is saying, my thing is kind of like Archelaus's thing. People aren't happy about my kingdom, just like they weren't happy about his kingdom, his citizens aren't, weren't happy, and, and my citizens, the people of Israel, aren't happy with me, okay? My thing's kind of like his thing, and we know this because we've seen it over and over again in the gospel. There were lots of people, religious leaders especially, who were not happy about Jesus and who opposed him and opposed his message. And so verse 27, kind of how that story plays out, we jump towards the end here. 
the noblemen of the parable, Archelaus from history, and Jesus at the judgment will say in effect, verse 27, as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The message just went PG-13 for violence there for a second, right? Okay. Just the religious leaders in Jesus' case are condemned to die eternal punishment as a result of their lobbying Pontius Pilate to overthrow and oppose the kingdom that Jesus was preaching. Archelaus did it in history. He had those who were part of that delegation and those who opposed his kingdom slaughtered. He took care of business. And Jesus too, in his own way, in eternity, will take care of business of any who have opposed his kingdom. And this is giving us a picture of God that's so important. We can't trifle with God. Can't make lightly of him. No one's getting away with anything. God will be vindicated. His justice will come. It will prevail. So back to the parable itself now, verse 15. When the nobleman returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants, now back to the servants, not the citizens, back to the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Now, Jesus is coming back. He introduced the kingdom. He got it started. The kingdom of God in every sense is now, but not yet fully fulfilled. And he asks the same question that the nobleman asks of his servants. The full expression of the kingdom is coming, and Jesus, when he comes, wants to know if we have been working with what he's given to us. When Jesus comes in power, he's going to test every Christian. If you're here, I wouldn't assume that everybody here is a Christian, but if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, he's going to test your work. You can jot down this reference. We're preaching um, Luke 19, so we don't really have time to preach another passage, but 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 to 15 talks all about the testing in greater, with greater specifics, okay? The testing that Jesus is going to put on the works, not testing your salvation, not judging your salvation, but, but we're looking at the works that you did as a follower of Jesus Christ. He's going to test it all. And you might, um, you might say at this point, okay, I get that I'm going to be tested. I get that I need to uh, keep working, but tell me exactly what's been entrusted to me so that I can work with that. What exactly are we talking about that God's going to test? And um, I would say this, every Christian is entrusted with seven things. You're entrusted with new life in Christ. In other words, you have the forgiveness of sins and you know what it's like to walk in darkness and now walk in light. That's a tremendous privilege. It's a tremendous gift that you have and I have. We have new life in Christ. That's been entrusted to us. Not everybody has it. Secondly, uh, you've been entrusted with relationships with people. In other words, you have opportunity. 
You have family members who don't know Jesus and who need his care and need the gospel. You have friends, you have people you work with in the workplace. There are neighbors who live around you. You have relationships and that's something God entrusts to you. Thirdly, you have spiritual gifts and we'll talk more about that in a little bit, but you have talents and abilities that God has given to you that are then filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit literally manifesting himself in the gifts that you use, the talents that you have, and then multiplying that in a way that it accomplishes spiritual things that you could not ever accomplish on your own. You have spiritual gifts that are entrusted to you. Uh, you have the church. What a great gift God has given to us of each other that we could gather together and sing together and pray together and pray for one another and encourage one another and walk alongside one another in this journey. We've been entrusted with this. Praise God. And five, we've been entrusted with a message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the good news. This world needs good news. So much bad news. We have the good news, which has been entrusted to us. Six, we are all hardwired. Even those who don't have Christ, we're hardwired with an internal desire to make a difference with our lives. Everybody wants to make an impact one way or another. You want to leave a legacy. We're hardwired for that. That's a gift from God to be entrusted with the internal desire for that. And when you couple it with number seven, a specific and compelling mission to make disciples, God gave us the very specific thing that we're supposed to do with our lives. He entrusted the mission to us. And it fulfills that inner longing we have to make a difference. There's no greater thing you can do with your life than to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be about his kingdom. God entrusts you and me with so much. And I'm sure there's even more we could put on that list of things that he's entrusted to us. And having entrusted these things to us, he expects much in return. Therefore, look at this next. I manage and multiply what I've been given. I manage and multiply what I've been given. Each of these servants had to give an account. Now look, look down at verse 16. Now the first came before him saying, Lord, your, your mina, okay, that's a money term, represents about three months wages, okay? Your mina has made 10 minas more. I mean, that guy really got it done. A tenfold return on the thing that was given to him. That's awesome. This guy's a stellar servant. Okay. The second guy comes, verse 18, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He also, very effective, carrying a lot of water. Okay. For the kingdom, he's getting it done. The first two were super faithful. They worked. They knew he was coming back and made something of what had been given to them. Third servant we'll come to in a few minutes. Now, let me ask the question, are you doing the same? If you're a servant of Jesus Christ, you've been given a mina, you've been given something, you've been entrusted with so much, in fact. And are you taking what the Holy Spirit has given to you, what he's empowering in you, and are you making more? Now, we try to keep things fairly simple around here. In the description we use of a disciple, you'll know this if you've been around here any length of time, we use the three W's. We talk about a disciple worships Christ, he walks with Christ, 
It works for Christ. When we talk about worship Christ, it means, first of all, that you've actually made a decision to become a follower of Christ. You've been baptized as a testimony to that. And, and then you find yourself with God's people on a regular basis worshiping. That's, that's worship Christ. I'm all about that. And then walk with Christ is I have personal disciplines in the word and prayer and worship. And I'm, I'm, those are personal things. And my time with the Lord, I'm walking with the Lord personally. And it also means I'm walking with others with the Lord and together in community. I'm in a small group and I'm doing life with some other people. That's what it means to walk with Christ. And then the last one, which is the focus of this message, is I work for Christ. I have a place that I serve where I take what was entrusted to me and, and I'm multiplying and managing that uh, in a way that honors the Lord. The general command for us, the commission, the thing we're supposed to be doing, I mentioned it already, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, make disciples. Are you making disciples? Every single person, doesn't matter who you are, it's not just the job of the pastors or the elders or, or teachers and harvest kids. It's every one of us is making disciples. And it's twofold in emphasis. The first thing is find people who are not yet disciples and do everything you can to make them one. Okay, that's the obvious part. The second part is find people who are already disciples and make them a better one. And that's everyone's job. That's what it means to go into all the world and make disciples. Back in my Bible college days, a lot of the Baptist churches that I was connected with, we would talk about uh, the ministries of evangelism and edification. Evangelism being the going out and reaching people who don't yet know Jesus, and edification was all the people who already know Jesus, we're going to build them up. We're going to edify them. We're going to make them stronger in the Lord. That's the right emphasis. That's what it means to make disciples. And we do that by using the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Again, preaching Luke 19, I don't have time to preach these other passages, but they're awesome. And if you want to track them down and go deeper in this and write these passages down, 1 Corinthians 12 deals all about spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, there's several verses there. You can, you can look at them yourself and find spiritual gifts, talents, abilities that you might have as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then Ephesians 4 did you get all these down? Some of you aren't writing. I don't even understand that. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. That's easy to remember. All talk about spiritual gifts. Listen, that list isn't even comprehensive because there's different things on each of the lists. We're talking about people who have mercy gifts and compassion gifts and teaching gifts and leadership gifts and administration gifts. All coming together to accomplish the one mission. Make disciples. Take what I've given to you, every one of you, take what I've given to you and use it for the sake of the kingdom. And you take that spiritual gift, this ability that you have, and then you pair that with a passion. What do you have a passion for? What do you like to do? Well, I like kids. I just want to work with kids. Or I like youth. Or, or I like adults. Or I don't like people at all. So put me in a back room somewhere at a desk. <laughs> That can happen. That can happen. I just want to administer. I just want to be behind the scenes. I have a talent for music. I, I'm, just a, a, I just, I'm good at prayer. I, I pray for hours. I want to intercede for the church. 
So you take the talent, you couple it with the passion, and you have something powerful going on where you're managing and multiplying out the thing that has been entrusted to you from the Lord. And it becomes a pretty awesome thing in the context of the church and the ministry that we have. And so what are you good at doing and what would you like to do? You know, there's always serving needs in a growing church. There's serving needs in every church. And um, I'm not really super interested right now in guilting anybody into anything. And I'll just tell you right now, our church is actually pretty good at um, the number of people, the percentage of people who come here who are serving. I'll just tell you that we're at the top end of most churches. That They're all very good at serving the Lord. And so I'm not interested in boosting our numbers or getting our percentages up or comparing ourselves to any other church. I'm not really interested in any of that. What I am interested in is you as an individual right now considering whether or not you are obeying this text. I'm interested in you as an individual getting before the Lord and asking the question, am I managing and multiplying what you have given to me? And then, and then join in and be a part of it. Because if you're hearing the plain meaning of what this parable is saying and you're not serving, you need to do something about that. Now, a good start, not going to go through any specifics here, but a good start would be to go to our website, harvestberry.ca slash workforchrist, and look through the list there. It's all the needs that we have and all the different ministry areas. It's literally like want ads. Okay, you're looking for a job, you go searching on want ads, and now th that's what this is. And just go and look, does that stir me? Do I have the gifts for that? And then send an email to one of our pastors and say, I want to get engaged in that. Can, can I talk about it? Where can I start serving? Or maybe, and or maybe, harvestberry.ca slash 5,000 hours, our effort to put 5,000 hours of community service from this church into our city and county every year. So maybe your heart is for something that's happening outside the church and you want to get engaged in helping the hurting and the marginalized right here in our city and go through that list and look at all those agencies and find a place. I want to give several hours to this every month and get engaged and start serving the Lord. Manage and multiply what Jesus has given to you and just see how an impact for the kingdom will change your own life. So would you say that you're managing what has been entrusted to you and multiplying it, or are you sitting here ignoring and neglecting that? It's not a great place to be. Now, here's some great news. Uh, for those who have deemed, those deemed to have been faithful with what he's entrusted to them, notice God recognizes and rewards. This is awesome. I mean, who doesn't want to hear verse 17 from Jesus, Right? Well done, good servant. I mean, that's what I want to hear. That's why I'm seeking to spend my life for Christ. I, I'm just trying to get to that day when I hear Jesus say to me, well done, good servant. And I'm sure you want to hear that too. He says, because you have been faithful in a very little, let's never think that our thing is so significant. Just a little thing. Because you've been faithful. Even the guy who took the one and made it 10, you've been faithful with a little bit. Okay, just a little bit. You shall have authority over 10 cities. And in verse 19, he says to the other guy, you're going to be over five cities. Now, we don't need to get caught up in the 10 or the five or the fact that there's cities. 
okay? Again, we're not allegorizing this parable. We're seeking to get a main idea out of every character. And the bottom line here is there's reward for serving Jesus. And it's not wrong to be motivated by that. If it was wrong to be motivated by that, it wouldn't be in the parable that Jesus is teaching. He's saying it's okay to think about the fact that someday God's going to reward you. It's okay to be motivated by that in some way. God recognizes and rewards the faithful. Something awesome awaits his faithful servants. And again, as an individual, you need to be sitting here going, am I that? Could I describe myself as a faithful servant? Now, if you decide that you are indeed a faithful servant, I do not recommend that you get a t-shirt and wear that. Bad plan, okay? It's about you and the Lord just having a time together. Lord, I'm I'm seeking to be a faithful servant. I want to hear those words from you. And I'm taking a look at my life and trying to decide, am I faithful with what you've given to me? It's just between you and Jesus. Could you answer that question in a positive way? Yes, I'm a, as best I'm able, I'm a faithful servant of Jesus. And Jesus makes this concluding comment when they're dealing with the third guy. Verse 26, I tell you that to everyone who has, more more will be given. More blessing awaits the person who receives reward. It just keeps being heaped up. But from the one who has not, the guy who isn't faithful, even what he has is going to be taken away. You can't take for granted that you've been given something from the Lord and expect that you're always going to have that. If you're not using it, God may take it from you. And we might be tempted to think even at this point that the rewards that we're talking about are only in eternity. And they're not. You know, we have the Apostle Paul talking about crowns. We're going to get crowns. I'm like, what kind of reward is that? Everything I've ever heard about crowns is they're too heavy and awkward to wear. I don't know. And I'm sure that's not, it's not literal at all, that it's actually a figurative understanding that there's something that's coming our way that's awesome, like a crown, that it represents something. And in any event, when we get the crown, I'm sure that because we're going to want to give glory to God when we finally see him as awesome as he really is, see him with our own eyes, we're going to take those crowns and give them back to him anyways. And, and, and so God, there's certainly something coming in eternity, but I think there's some stuff that we're getting right now. In fact, Brian Dodd, who um, a few of us have had the opportunity to meet when we went Enjoy uh, Stewardship Solutions, which helped us with our capital campaign. There's a man that works for them called Brian Dodd, and he writes these posts on church leadership and does observations of culture and all of this. And he wrote this great little post that Pastor Dan sent to me. Uh, Brian Dodd um, wrote this. He kind of had 10 things. I've boiled it down to seven and summarized it a little bit. But here's the here and now rewards of serving Jesus. It's not just an eternity. God's going to bless us now. Let me give you uh, seven of these. Um, A greater life purpose. A greater life purpose. Whatever you think your life purpose is right now, I want to leave a legacy in my family. I want my kids to love me. I want to build a great business. I want to pass that on to my kids. I want to leave an inheritance. Whatever your life purpose is, I'm sure it's great, but temporal. I want to get to something more important. I want to get to something that's going on into eternity, okay? 
to a greater life purpose, a broader perspective. As soon as you start working with other people and with their experiences and you're shoulder to shoulder together, I mean, that's just going to be awesome. And you're going to get a broader perspective on people's needs and their hurts and what's going on in their lives and even of the world as you serve of the Lord. Third, you're going to get lifelong friendships. And my deepest friendships, I'm telling you right now, my deepest friendships are with people that I have done ministry with. People that I've been in relationship with in workplaces and on serving teams. Lifelong friendships for a healthier self-image. And the reason why you're getting a healthier self-image is because when you serve, you're getting your eyes off of self and on to others, and that's going to get you in a better place with the Lord. That That just makes sense. Five, there's a reward from just seeing other people helped. Six, there's a more generous heart that develops. And the, the, the great thing about generosity is the more that you give, the more that you want to give, and the more you find a capacity to give. Seven, uh, finally having a lasting influence. And I've talked a little bit about that already. And I would hope that you would want these things. And beyond that, to know that by your service, you are in every way glorifying a God, and that is our supreme purpose as human beings, to glorify God. And even if I receive no other rewards, is this true? Even if I receive no other rewards, just to know that I'm pleasing Jesus is enough. A verse that I've gone back to so many times, and we, just, we looked at it a little, a little bit ago, but Luke 17, 10, and I'm quoting it here from the New American Standard, I mean, this, this verse has just stopped me in my tracks multiple times. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Isn't that awesome? Look at that last part. We have done only that which we ought to have done. I'm just going to do it because it pleases God. I ought to do this in light of what he's done for me. Father, give me that attitude. Make that my heart. Amen? Amen. All right, we're almost there. One last part to look at and um, the hardest part. Faithfulness to Jesus as we await his coming is proven in my service to him and for him, but sadly... Many will fall before the God who also condemns the unfaithful. Back to that third servant. We haven't talked about him yet. He comes and he says in verses 20 and 21, Lord, here's your mina, which I I kept it. I kept it. I wrapped it in a handkerchief and I stored it away. And here it is. I was afraid of you. You're a severe man. You're the God of the universe. You're sovereign over all. You're perfect in your holiness. You have dominion. I was afraid of you. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. So he just kept it. And he thought that that would be enough to not have multiplied it, not to have used it in any way, not to have met God's expectation. And under no circumstances, listen, under no circumstances could a professing believer stand before the Lord and show nothing and still be assured that they're a believer. 
I mean, this guy had his excuse, and I wonder what your excuse might be. Reasons why people don't serve. I have no time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the margin in my life. I'm too busy. I got burned out. Someone hurt me. I was taken for granted. I was not thanked. I was disappointed by the leadership. It's not worthwhile. I failed to see the importance of what I was doing. Um, it made no impact. No one asked me to serve. I give money instead. I don't want to give any commentary on any of those. I don't even want to try and persuade you. We're seeking to let the word of God speak for itself. But I would simply ask you to imagine standing before Jesus giving that excuse. Just imagine it. A Jesus who was not too busy to die for you. Jesus who endured the cross, so, you know, not burned out. Jesus who didn't hide behind being hurt by people, though he was misunderstood by almost everyone. Abandoned by his friends at his darkest hour. Denied by one of his closest friends, Peter. Betrayed by one of his 12 closest friends, Judas. Unjustly accused by the spiritual leaders of his own nation and turned over to pagans to be spat upon and beaten and tortured and crucified. Imagine standing before him with your excuses, your reasons for not serving. Jesus, who was taken for granted, who was not thanked, who was severely let down by many, Jesus who saw the eternal importance of what he was doing, who looked with compassion on the people, who wept over Jerusalem and the spiritual state of its citizens, who loved us so much that he sacrificed his life for us. Imagine standing before him and telling him why you didn't serve. why you didn't do anything with what he gave you. Despite the explanations and protestations that we see from the servant, even what he had was taken away from him. And the failure to work for Christ may, in fact, be an indication that you're not a follower of Christ at all. Or it, it may mean the withholding of blessing, the taking away of what you already have, it certainly excludes you from reward. And as I see things, it's a risk not worth taking. This is a hard word, I know. But the world around us is failing fast, and we're not so naive as to not realize there's going to be another humble. There's going to be another young street. Next week, a month from now, 
As we look at the rest of 2018, there's going to be more heartache that happens. This world needs our message. This world needs us to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hurting are all around us. The world is still consumed by sin, gripped by grief and despair. And we have the words of life. Our lives are to be spent showing them and telling them the gospel. Good news about Jesus Christ, using what's been entrusted to us. So let's get to it. Each one of us, church, let's get to it. And do what Jesus has given us to do. Because he's coming back to make sure that we have. Revelation 22, 20, right at the very end of the Bible says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.